everyone. Thanks so much for joining us here at Infused Church. I'm Pastor Taylor, and I'm going to introduce um, Pastor Kim today, who is giving us our message about following Jesus. So I hope you stick around and enjoy the conclusion of season one of our series 15. Good morning, Infused Church. How are you folks today? Good, good. Uh, well, it's a privilege uh, to be here with you today and talk a few minutes about following Jesus and kind of end up this uh, last sermon. Uh, it won't be near as good as what you've been hearing every week. I'm certain of that, but uh, I'll do my best today to, to share some truth with you. It's good to be with Pastor Taylor and Stephanie and Elia. And uh, wow, what a beautiful little baby that is, huh? That's uh, And uh, six-month-old birthday today, I think he said. So... Uh, but it's so good to be with you today. Uh, I am a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I have been uh, uh, for nearly 50 years, uh, well, more than that, since I was eight years old, and uh, I won't tell you the rest of that. It's been longer than 50, though, uh, that uh, I've been loving and following Jesus, and uh, he's helped me in a lot of ways in my life, in ways that I didn't deserve. Uh, that's called grace and, uh, and mercy. And I've tried to learn how to be faithful to him and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, one thing I've learned in life, uh, I've had a lot of relationships over the years, uh, friendships. Uh, been married to my sweet wife for 46 years. That's been a beautiful, uh, amen, thank you, a beautiful relationship. And one thing I learned about relationships is that most all relationships begin with the first words, Right? I mean, when you, you have your first encounter, it's kind of like, and, and significant relationships or impactful relationships, you, you typically remember those first words, what they were. And uh, as life goes through and, and you follow this relationship, eventually there will be the last words in a relationship. And everything that happens in between really kind of defines what that whole relationship was like, whether it was good or whether it was bad. Uh, my relationship with Rose has been beautiful. We haven't had the last words yet. Well, she does. She gets the last word every day. But, uh, but I mean last words. Uh, I remember when I was pastoring, though, beginning to learn this, uh, I was at first Sunday at a new church, my uh, assignment, and I'm standing at the front door greeting people as they're coming in. And, and here comes a sweet little old lady, uh, silver hair, walking up sidewalk, kind of uh, making her way toward the door. I swung the door open for her, and I said, uh, well, good morning, I'm Pastor Smith, what's your name? And she said, Nola. And I said, well, Nola, it's nice to meet you today. How are you? She said, I'm not very well. I've been sick for two weeks, and not one person from this church has called me. Well, that was my first words with Noah. And over the time that I was there, uh, things didn't improve a whole lot. The last words that Noah said to me as she walked out the door after we had a Come to Jesus meeting one day was, As long as you're the pastor here, I'm never coming back to this church. Those first and last words pretty much defined our relationship throughout there. But for those of us that are followers of Jesus, our relationship begins with him, 
turn that on, and I bet it'll work. Begins with the first words. So what we got here? The first words that Jesus speaks into our hearts and into our lives, those of us who are followers of Jesus, is when we hear him say as he did to Matthew and the other disciples, follow me. Very few of us knew exactly what that meant when he spoke those words to us, but those were, for the most part, the first words that Jesus had to speak to us, and they were impactful in our lives. They were in my life as I began this journey of following him. And so as you're here today, if Jesus has spoken those words into your life and you've begun that relationship, then what's happening now and what has happened since then and what happens throughout the rest of your life will be defined by how serious you take those words. And in Jesus' relationship with the disciples, not only did he have first words, but he had these were his last words. Therefore, before he ascended into heaven, after his resurrection and before his ascension into heaven, he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those two words, those two conversations are the bookends to the first words that Jesus speaks to his disciples and the last words. And so my challenge for you and for myself today is learning how to live out that relationship between taking serious the call to follow Jesus and taking serious what he asked us to do as we followed him in that relationship. The invitation that Jesus spoke into our lives comes with some expectations. And the mission, those last words that he's given us as followers of his, have a clear expression to them. There is a way that that is supposed to look in our lives, in our churches, in our world as we go make disciples of Jesus Christ. So the invitation is, is clear. There are some clear expectations when Jesus called us to follow him. And so in that invitation and expectation, Jesus said this to his disciples in the call, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. These were the things that would define us as his disciples. If you'll notice there, he didn't say, if anyone would come after me, I think it would be a good idea that you uh, kind of follow me and hang around, and uh, if, it, if it pleases you, I would like for you to stop being selfish and stop being sinful, and I'd like for you to uh, lay your life down, and I'd like for you to be all... That wasn't the imperative. What Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he what? Let's say it together. He must follow me and in that following there in those expectations that we have Jesus is what really defines our life all of us in different ways there's really not much uh, uh, interpretation of that the expressions of it are different many times in many places and in our lives but that's the mission Go make disciples and follow me. 
When I was uh, 16 years old, my first job that I had was I worked at a Dairy Queen. We have anybody here ever worked in Dairy Queen? One, one queen. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well you, you'll relate. Did you go through all the Dairy Queen training? Yeah, yeah. Say that again. Come up here and say that. I, I want them to hear you say that. Come up here and say that. What was that about? That you, you have to learn to do the perfect little loop and the dip. and yeah. Oh, yes. We did not rehearse this. We did not rehearse this. But I, too, worked at a Dairy Queen. And uh, it wasn't as soon part of the training of what I had there. A lot of different things we did. Had to learn how to clean up and all that stuff. But, but the most important thing to learn was how to make the curl. Right? Uh, by my own witness, right here on the front row, <laughs> to make the curl. I mean, you know, have you ever seen people go to the Chinese restaurant where they have the ice cream machines and watch people try to make an ice cream cones? You see that, and it's down, and it's wrapped all around their hand, and they're, they're, they're walking back to their table, you know, kind of licking their arms off because they did. But, but, but not so in Dairy Queen, because that's their franchise. That, that's what identifies them. In fact, if you go in some Dairy Queens, you'll see a sign today, and, and that's been a long time ago. In fact, it's 50 years ago. I'll tell you how old I am when I went to work at a Dairy Queen. <laughs> and you'll see a sign in Dairy Queen that says, it's about the curl. Saw one just not long ago. I always love when I go in, especially if my wife's with me and embarrasses her to death. I see young ladies or young men there making the ice cream cones, and they're bringing them, and I've just got eyes on it. I mean, I was trained in this. I've got eyes on it. I'm, I'm checking this out. And they'll walk. Some of them make pass the test. Most of them don't, to my, to my standard. Relaxed standards these days, I suppose. And I always say to one of them, you want to know something? And usually they're popping their gum. Yeah, whatever. I said, I used to work in a Dairy Queen. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And my wife, she's just going, stop already. Would you, <laughs> would you please stop? And then I tell them, you know, about that. And, and they indulge me. And then I pay them. And, and they go on chomping their gum. And I walk out feeling some sense of, of that I have been somewhat responsible for 50 years to set the bar and hold the standard. <laughs> that it's all about the curl. And, and the reality is, in the first and the last words of Jesus, when he says, follow me, if you step into this, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Go and make disciples. That's the curl. That's what we're about. We have been for 2,000 years. Now, that looks different in, in a lot of different kinds of ways, but when you get to its purest form, there, is, there really is no... no departure from from that it's it, it's our franchised identity so to speak who we are as followers of jesus to make disciples and part of that training and equipping comes in this when i invite you here's some expectations of what your life and your journey will look like deny yourself take up your cross and follow me Die to yourself. Die to sin. Say no to it. Stop self-destructive habits and behaviors with my help. Stop self-indulgence. Stop your self-promoting. Just quit being selfish. 
Just start being like me. Follow me is the invitation that he gives. Now, as we try to do that and we get serious about that and following Jesus, it's going to take you a lot of places in life. I mean, some places perhaps that you're not very comfortable with, I suppose. Most of the people, many of them in Jesus' day weren't very comfortable with where he would lead them either, especially his, uh, the religious leaders of that day. We, we commonly refer to them as they were Pharisees. But here's a story after he called Matthew. He goes with Matthew, and they go back to Matthew's house. And it says, as they went there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said to Matthew, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. So while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Go out and figure out what it means for sick people who need a doctor. Follow me and I'll show you what that means. That's who you are now. As you begin to deny yourself, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me, you will find that the reason we've come is to reach the world with my message of love and my grace not for sinners. So in this expression of, of what it means to follow him, you might have figured by now, and if you've ever been a part of another church, certainly not this one, you, you may have encountered those folks who really didn't get it, what that meant, and what that was supposed to look like. Uh, the church I pastored before I, before I moved here five years ago in this assignment I'd been there 14 years. We had an event, an outside event, like, much like you do here. It was down on the river, and it was called uh, Rivers and Spires. They had a lot of steeples in the downtown. And it was a big music festival is what it was. We were right close to Nashville, Tennessee. And so a big music festival, stages all up and down the river. And our praise band, Gears, was invited to sing on one of the festival stages on a Friday night. So we went down, they celebrated, we rehearsed, and they got all ready, and got down there and singing songs about Jesus and this, you know, folks walking around, you know, beer tents, and just sitting on the hillside, and just uh, hanging out with each other. Well, the newspaper took a picture of our praise band, and put it on the front page of the newspaper the next morning. Now, did I tell you that our praise band was assigned to sing on the Budweiser stage? And so they took a picture of our praise band, First Nazarene, and put it on the front page of the newspaper the next day on the Budweiser stage, King of Beers. And it was a great write-up and stuff, and, and I, thought it was, I thought it was awesome. You know, here we're kind of in Matthew's house, hanging out. Later that week, a gentleman walked into the church and had a serious look on his face and was ready to have a serious conversation with me, and he laid down the newspaper in front of me. He said, did you see this? And I said, yes, sir, I did. Isn't that awesome? He said, well, I don't know why you would call it that. You know, we are holiness people. And what in the world are we doing downtown on the Budweiser stage singing about Jesus? I mean, he was, the conversation went much longer than this. I could spend the rest of my allotted time telling you about it. However, 
I, I prayed for wisdom and how to respond. And I said, yes, sir, I understand how you feel about that. I said, but let me ask you a question. And it's really a rhetorical question, which, which it wasn't to him, but it was to me. <laughs> if Jesus had been here last Friday night, where do you suppose he would have been in this whole big city? Where do you think Jesus would have been hanging out? And I answered it before he had a chance to think. I said, on the Budweiser stage. That's where Jesus would have been. And his face is getting redder and a little more wrinkled along the way. And, uh, and I said, furthermore, here's what I think would happen. Jesus would have taken front center on the Budweiser stage. His folks are scattered over the hillside. Some of them holding their brewskis and they're, 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 they're tipping up and down. And he would sit there and say, hey, I'm so glad you're here tonight. Glad you came out to celebrate. Most of you live in your lives, and Budweiser has become your king. But let me tell you something. My name is Jesus, and I am the king of kings. And you can celebrate me. And that, he just turned around and walked out of the church. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't happy about that. And you can understand that, because... Somewhere in his following, he didn't make that transition to what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. So there's this invitation and there's this expectation that we will be serious about following Jesus wherever that takes us in our life and our journey. Well, not only is there the invitation and expectation, but there's, there's this missional expression, go make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're going to follow Jesus, it's, it's nice for us to have some sense of pattern, like a, like a, a book at Dairy Queen, that, so we can go back and reference every once in a while, okay, exactly how do we do that? Of course, we have the Word of God, but they didn't have that, so they literally had to follow. And he mentored, and he taught, and they learned from him. And then they replicated and they did again what he did. And so here's, here is a story, uh, an outline of, of, of what Jesus did. Let me see if I've got that passage scripture up there. So Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. So he went to church, made himself known preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So if you, if you want to get a, a, an in-depth look, really, uh, an overview of what it's like to walk in a a day in the life of Jesus. This passage of Scripture gives us that outline. So those of us today that are Christ followers, and Jesus says you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, this is what he had in mind in that following, becoming like him, going where he goes, doing the things that he does. And so as we look through that, there's a number of things that we notice that in order to follow Jesus, and call ourselves followers of Jesus, it's, it's important and necessary that we follow him into the mission field. 
The passage of Scripture says, and Jesus went through all the towns and the villages. Why all the towns? Because there were broken people everywhere that he went, right? There wasn't any place that he went that he didn't find broken people. Whether they're in Tiffin, whether they're in Iowa City, whether they're in Ankeny, where I live, or, or Tennessee, where I was from, everywhere in the world there are broken people. So Jesus says, go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, Go to the othermost parts of the earth. Go to Tiffin. Go to this town over here. Go to the other side of Iowa. Go to the other side of the United States. Go around the world and be me wherever you go. Follow me and imitate me so that people will know who I am and be able to experience my love and my grace. So if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him into the mission field. But also, if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him with our eyes wide open. So that we see what's going on around us. It's said that as he went through the mission field, right? When he saw the crowds. I'm amazed at how many people there are that don't see the crowds. In fact, in the in responsibility that I have as, as superintendent, I oversee about 70 churches throughout Iowa. I'm amazed at the churches that don't see the crowds. And, and it sometimes seldom occurs to them that there are other people outside of those that show up on Sunday morning. And that that's the point of who we are and what we do. And so Jesus says... and. and Follow me, and when you do, you'll keep your eyes wide open. So my question to you this morning is, as you're following Jesus, who is it that you are seeing who needs what Jesus has to offer? Who is it that you see that needs in their life what Jesus did in your life? As you follow Jesus, you, you see him touching all kinds of people. We could, the, the Scripture's full of it, of course, story after story after story. I, I remember one story that I that I heard someone share it. This isn't happening in my church, but I heard a pastor tell this, that he preached a message similar to this one Sunday, and, and he challenged his people to go home that week, and as they went to work, wherever they went, to ask Jesus to help them see with their eyes. That's a good prayer to pray when you leave today. Jesus, help me to look at people through your eyes and see what you see. Because we get such eternal vision, don't we? And so this lady took the challenge. The Spirit spoke in her heart. She goes to work the next day. She's sitting there just going about business, sitting in her cubicle, and she sees a young lady walk in that she had worked with for years and had never really paid much attention, knew her name. Of course, they had a, had a social relationship. And she saw her come in. She had her sunglasses on, and when she came in, she sat down at her cubicle across the way, and, which is nothing unusual. But after a few minutes, half hour, hour, Passed by, she noticed she still had her sunglasses on. And so she felt comfortable enough to walk over and said, you know, hey, Mary, do you know you still got your sunglasses on? And Mary looked up and she pulled her glasses down a little and she had a black eye. And she slipped them back up. And she dropped her head. And then she said, my husband hit me this morning. This lady was taken back. She had prayed that morning, Jesus, give me eyes to see what you see. And Jesus did. 
And the response to what she saw was she began a ministry for domestic abuse that began to flourish and touch. How did that begin? Just by following Jesus, walking through the villages, walking through the workplaces and looking and having eyes to see and listening to the Spirit say, ask that lady what it is that she needs. It's when we have eyes to see things that, that, that things begin to happen in amazing ways. I began a couple of years ago, I, I walk, it hurt my knee, I haven't walked in a little while here, but for a couple of years I was walking three or four miles a day, and, 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 and two years ago, uh, last two years, I walked in the Des Moines Marathon. <clears throat> and two years ago, when I was walking in the marathon, I was, I was walking down the, the street, and uh, you know, there's thousands of people, and uh, I was kind of in the back because I'm walking, and, and so there were a few people behind me, not a lot of people behind me, but you know, hey, Finishing a marathon, whether you're first or last, right? Amen? You just, you finish. And I'm about two miles out, and I'm walking down the street, Des Moines, there, and I look down, and, and on the street in front of me, there's a, there's a quarter. It had been there a long time. It was green and hardly, and because I had been finding coins, and so I kind of made it a mission. As I'm walking, I'm going to find coins. And that morning, I, I, I said, well, there. And so here I am stopping in the middle of a pack of people, a marathon, that are headed toward the finish line, trying to pick up a coin, and people are bumping me, and, I, and I'm, they're kind of annoyed, like, what, what is he doing? Well, I'm, I'm picking up this quarter. And I thought, wow, what a find. I put it in my pocket. As I walked, I began to think about that, that at least 5,000 people had walked right past that coin that morning. And no one saw it. Or if they did, they didn't care enough or didn't have enough value to them to stop and pick it up. But not me, because I've been telling myself, look for coins. Look for coins. I find them everywhere. It's amazing. i got a big old tray full of them. I've got probably over 200 coins I've found in the last two years. Adds up to about $3. <laughs> Mostly pennies, cheapskates. People won't pick pennies up because they don't have value. Or quarters. Do you see my point? But when you, when you say, give me eyes to see, and you're walking to see, you see things that other people don't see. And you find value in the things that other people don't value. And so Jesus walked through the crowds, right, with, it, with his eyes wide open. When you walk through the crowds and follow Jesus, you do so with a heart of compassion. And he had compassion on them. Your life begins to care. Why? Because you see Jesus cares. Because you realize that, that you were that lost coin once. You were that broken person that people just walked right past. But then one day, Jesus saw you and came to you and stopped as the crowds were pushing and coming by and said, wait a minute, wait a minute and redeemed you, and, and, and placed value in your life, and had compassion over what had no value to anybody else. And he says, so follow me. And when you follow me, that will become an intrinsic part of your life as you, as you stay close to me. When other people would turn away from the woman at the well, Jesus would sit down and have a conversation. 
when other people would throw stones at the lady that was caught in adultery, Jesus would, would swoop her up and stand between her and those who were accusing and with compassion stand the crowds down. I always used to wonder, because nobody knows, but there are a lot of sermons and a lot of speculation. You know, what, what, do you, what it was that Jesus was writing in the sand? I don't know. you got your own opinion. That's what it is, too, by the way, his opinion of what he was writing. You know what I think it was? wish I had a picture of it. I think he, he gave you the sand and he drew a great big circle like this. And he put a there and there, and then he put a big smiley face under it. <laughs> And he just wrote a smiley face right in the sand. She's the only one that could see it. And she looked down. And Jesus looked up at her and smiled. And then stood up and said, See, that's the kind of compassion Jesus says, but, but unless you follow him, you don't see that, right? You think maybe he's right in the law. Do not commit adultery. Certainly that's not acceptable for a follower of Jesus. But, but when that happens, Jesus embraces that and says, Come. Life can be different and shows us that life of compassion. I remember meeting Barbara. She was a lady of the street, a prostitute in my last church, and we had a number of different outreach ministries and recovery ministries. And, and I, I met her one Sunday morning. We worshiped in a gym like this, too, a full gym. And, uh, and, and I, I saw her standing in the shadows where the light shadowed on the back wall. And I went up and I introduced myself to her, and I said, uh, well, hi. I said, what is your name? She said, Barbara. I said, well, my name's Kim, and hey, it's nice to meet you here today. And she's standing back in the shadows, leaning against the wall. And, and so we talked a little bit, and she figured out soon that I was the pastor. My son was on staff with me. He, he worked with Compassionate Ministries. And in that exchange, she said to me, I really love your son, Brett. And I said, well, yeah, so do I. She said, you know, he's the first man that ever hugged me that I knew didn't want something from me. I was like, whoa, Brett's not a hugger. I could, I'd, I'd like to have been there the day when I saw that awkward kind of like. <clears throat> About a month later, we were having a baptism. All candidates were prepared like you all do. We had videos and we had the testimonies and they were coming up and I was standing at the baptistry and they were coming up and somebody came up to me and says, Hey, Barbara wants to get baptized. I said, really? They said, yeah. I said, well, good. They said, but she hasn't been through class yet. I said, oh, well. And she doesn't have a T-shirt. Well, and she didn't bring a change of clothes. Well, and she doesn't have a towel. And I said, well, but she wants to get baptized. I said, well, let's baptize her. So Barbara came. She got into the baptism tank. And she walked into the tank. I could smell on her breath. As she came in and stepped down when she said, Hi, Pastor. She had had a beer or two to build a little courage to get to church that morning. And so I, I talked to her and understand where she and I baptized her in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And she came up out of the water. And, and, and she was celebrating and she was calling out to people she knew, Pastor Brett, I love you. That was my son. And Pastor Larry, I love you. He was the guy that brought her to church on the church van. And Pastor Kim, I love you. No one knew this but me, right? That this was, but God was so real in this moment. Jesus was so embracing, so compassionate. She left. The next week I saw her standing back against the wall again 
And when I spoke to her, she said, Pastor Kim, I'm so excited. And I said, really? I said, watch. She says, yesterday Jesus helped me all day long to not take one drink. And I said, praise God, Barbara. Praise God. Listen, Jesus demonstrates compassion, right? We follow him. That flows out of our hearts and out of our lives. And finally, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, it's imperative that we get involved. That we find a place where, where Jesus is leading us, where the, the, we move beyond just sitting in, in a church seat uh, and coming and, and drawing. Certainly the community of faith builds us up and, and the role of the church is to, is to equip us and empower us and train us for works of service to following Jesus and minister to those people that are around us. And Jesus said He saw people that were harassed and helpless like, listen now, sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Sheep without a shepherd. That means they're broken people. Nobody's watching out for them. There's a harvest that people are not engaging in. And so as we follow Jesus, he's pointing this all out. He's saying, follow me. Follow me when you go here. And so when we do that, it takes us, as we've already said, to do some crazy places, right? And you follow Jesus like... Who steps up to a tomb of a man that's been dead for four days and it stinks so terrible that nobody wants to follow him into that place? Who does that? People who are filled with compassion of Jesus. Who, who goes on to an island where a demoniac man is just cutting himself and going crazy and screaming and everybody... And Jesus goes... Who does that? Jesus and people that follow him. Who... Who carries a man that's crippled on a mat when four people get together and, and can't get in the door and they crawl up on the roof of the house in Mark chapter 2 and they tear a hole in the roof and they let the man down through there so Jesus could tell? Who does that? People who have seen Jesus do that. My friend's name was Mike Robinson. I began to work with him as a young man. He was in his early 20s. Mike was a, was a musician out of Nashville and uh, had a young family, a guitar player, loved, had dreams of the big times. He came to church once, so I got to know him. We began to visit stuff. And so I, I, I helped mentor Mike at his invitation. We'd have coffee, and we talked and talked talk, and talked. And uh, Mike was more in love with his music than he was his wife and his kids and Jesus. He was in church because... His wife wanted him to come, but so Mike and I began to talk. And I thought, well, you know, I wish Mike would act different, but he's not. So, you know, we just got to meet Mike where he's at. Well, Mike told me one day when we were having coffee, Pastor, he said, I, uh, I'm playing down at Front Page Deli Friday night, and uh, I'm debuting our, my first record or CD cut. Told me all about that. I said, really? He says, yeah. I said, what time place? It's 11 o'clock. So he's just telling me. So I went back to church and uh, got one of my staff guys. And I said, hey, you know, what are you doing tonight? He says, nothing. I said, let's go to Front Page Deli. Now, Front Page Deli was a nice sandwich shop by day on downtown streets. At nighttime, it turned into a honky-tonk and bar. And he said, 
what? I said, yeah, let's go to Front Page Deli tonight. And he said, they don't serve sandwiches at nighttime. <laughs> they serve suds. And I said, no, let's go. So I told him what was happening. So we get down there and we, you know, I walk in there anytime during the day, but nighttime you got to pay a cover charge. I mean, I, I've never hung out in places like that, but I understand that, and I didn't know what a cover charge was. I didn't know what I was covering up or what, what was going on there. So I paid to get in the door, and we walked, made it through a crowded place, went upstairs where the band was playing, and they were tuning, getting ready, and starting to play. And, and I'm walking in, and I step up the steps and down the aisle, and I'm looking down there, and there I, I saw this guy from the church. He's standing around. Hey, pastor, what, what are you doing here? I said, oh, hey, we just come down to hear Mike play tonight. So I went home. That happened three or four different times, and finally I made my way up to the stage, and Mike was here busy, and, and I walked right up in front of Mike, and I said, hey, Mike. He turned around. What are you doing here? I said, hey, man, I just want to come down and hear your new song. What you playing? Me and Jeff, we just gonna hang out for a little while. I said, a little bit loud for me, but uh, but man, that's, this is cool, brother. What you doing? He goes, wow, well, thanks. So we made our way out and just there and hung out a little bit and made our way back to the crowd as folks said, bye, pastor. <laughs> thanks for stopping by. Relationship went on for several years, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Easter Sunday, my last Sunday in Clarksville, Tennessee, before I moved here, Mike Robinson stood on stage, Easter morning worship service, with a guitar around his neck and a testimony in his heart, and sang Big Daddy Weave's song, I Am Redeemed. I'm not the man I used to be. And all glory to Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, will you follow me? If you will, you should take up your cross deny yourself, and go with me wherever I want you to go. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the privilege of being able to share this morning with your church. Thank you so much for, for speaking into my life one day and, and calling me. And Lord, I haven't always been the best follower. I'm, I want to confess that before these folks tonight. I've and I've stumbled a lot, and sometimes I've even turned around and seemed like I look in the other way, but, but when I followed you, it's been amazing. And so help us to live into that today.